Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Corn Roast Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started, if you've not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, share it on social media. Of course, you know, hit me up, let me know. I, you know, I always appreciate it. Uh, it really helps us out. Uh, psych today, in between our first kind of mini series of the year, which I, I love that these are happening. I don't know. I, obviously, the circumstances I don't love, but I, I, I enjoy having these kind of back to back games. Uh, joined by John Corrales, host of over at uh, Locked On Celtics. Uh, John, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good. I can't complain. We've uh, we've had some good basketball. So uh, I, I know you. I don't know how you're feeling about things on your end. Um, definitely a better start to the season than I expected for the Pacers, um, just coming out the gates. But uh, overall, just looking at last night's game before we even talk about the next one. Um, I would okay. So I want to do this. I'll I'll give you my thoughts on the Celtics, but I want to hear your thoughts on how the Pacers played last night. Um, sure. Anything that you were kind of surprised by, or what stood out to you uh, in watching the game? Um, I I thought that they were they played very well defensively. Um, I thought that it was just very very difficult for the Celtics to get anything at the rim. I think that kind of discouraged them a little bit, got them away from their offense. Obviously, the their their turnovers, which you know, I could sit here and say some of that was the Celtics' own sloppiness, but obviously you have to credit the defense as well. The turnovers are what turned this game around because they turned the Celtics over a bunch, and that's what helped the uh, the Pacers get out to that huge lead. Brogdon was was really good. Yeah, uh, Turner was a you know a beast protecting the rim. I thought Sabonis was was pretty good, and I, I'm sure he's played better. But he, you know, still when when it mattered, he made you know great move. We saw his ability to grab the grab rebounds and go. Uh, I thought overall, you know, the Pacers looked looked pretty good for a team that a lot of people are are putting in a second tier in the East. They look they looked pretty good, and they didn't have Oladipo, so you know that that's uh, a little scary when you think about how well they played and. Adding Oladipo to that tomorrow or Wednesday would be, I'm sorry, Tuesday would be just be very interesting to see, to say the least. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the first thought I have on that, uh, Sabonis grab and goes are very precarious. Um, he, uh, the, the half court spin move he did was, uh, unexpected, <laughs> but also it's a roller coaster every time he goes down court, man. Like he's just got a total fire when he grabs the ball and it's, uh, you never know quite what's going to happen. Um, but yeah, I agree. I'm really excited to see what Vic looks like coming back tomorrow. He's looked pretty good um, out the gate, still not quite himself. Um, but you know, with his injury, it's it's going to take time, and he might not even get back to that level. But um, what stood out to me about the Celtics, um, and in watching, I've, I've watched all the Celtics games to start the year. Obviously, I'm not as in tune with them as you are, but um, obviously, Jason Tatum's best player on the court was last night. Has been in every game except the Brooklyn game. Um, you know, I am. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on Brooklyn game? What am I talking about? Jesus. Um, but what are your, what are your thoughts on, on how he's coming out so far? Um, the, 
I don't obviously he's not taking a step back. That is the total wrong way to like even talk about it, but he hasn't been driving quite the same way. It's felt like to me. I mean, obviously it was, he was getting drawing fouls at a really high level um, towards the end of last season when he was going on that kind of monumental tear. Um, obviously it still looked really good, but you know, I, I'm yeah. just kind of wondering what you're thinking on him so far. But see Tatum is an interesting guy because he's, he's averaging probably, I don't know what his, his season average is right now, but it's going to be somewhere around 25 or so 26 so last night I didn't think he was I thought Jalen Brown was the better player last night yeah I'd agree and uh Tim didn't shoot great but you look at his numbers and you say wow 25 11 five assists he did have the five turnovers which were part of the problem yeah and they came in critical times but when a player is kind of let's say not playing his best and he's still dropping 25, 11, and 5, you 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 look at it and you say, okay, this is a little encouraging because a couple of things. I'd like to think that he tightens up that handle yeah. a little bit. That's, that's the number one thing for him. Uh, secondly, I think he and the Celtics really making sure they go through their offense and not going off on their one-off drives, like him and, and Jalen Brown taking turns, what it seemed like a little bit down the stretch there, if they can just go back to running their offense, coming off of actions, coming off of uh, some of these cross screens that they're getting and these, these handoffs that turn into pick and rolls. If they can, if they can continue to do that and not get away from that as, as much, then that's just going to unlock a little bit more because uh, the Celtics right now, they're playing with double bigs with Thompson and Tice. And those guys have to make sure they're clearing the right space and creating enough space for Tatum and Jalen Brown to, to operate. So for Tatum, it's about a little bit more patience. It's a little bit more about running through the stuff and just working on tightening up that handle. So when he does make a move, he's not losing the ball. Like he was fumbling around with it a little bit last night. So there's certainly another level for Jason Tatum to get to this season. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I think I notice a lot. He's uh, he's tripping up when he's going to his left hand, driving down the lane. Um, and my one of my buddies lives in in, in Mass, and always is tweeting off fire about it because he's a little pissed. But um, yeah, no, it's it's interesting too. What are the, just kind of the returns so far with Tristan Thompson? I really liked the signing. I thought it was a great signing. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff between Indiana and Boston in the in the off season. That we can talk about too. Um, but I've liked Tristan Thompson so far uh, for Boston. I thought not that he was a half measure is the wrong way to put it, but doesn't quite solve everything that Boston needs in the front court. Um, but what have, what have you thought on him so far? I think, I think he's been doing all right considering he didn't have a preseason yeah. and um, he's, he's still on a minutes restriction because of the, the hamstring. So they, they really are bringing him along slowly. So he's, still learning his teammates. He's still learning what the, the team wants from him. He's drawn some really vicious defensive assignments. I mean, he had to guard oh, Kevin yeah. Durant, you know? So um, I think all things considered, he's been good. I think what I expect of Tristan Thompson is kind of what I've got so far. Tough. He'll go, go for rebounds. He's got a nose for the ball. He's going to set picks. He's going to roll hard and he'll, he'll bring like a fire and an intensity out there that the Celtics need. So um, for a guy that you got for two years on the mid-level, I think this is about mid-level 
production so far. And like I said, when, when we get more into potentially 30 minutes a game with a little bit more familiarity and a little bit more kind of building that muscle memory, the second nature stuff uh, defensively, I, I think that's going to make, make it even better. So I, I thought Tristan Thompson was a good signing. I think when you consider Daniel Tice was the starter on a, a top five defense last year and, and Ennis Cantor was his backup. Now you bring in Thompson, who is a, a significant upgrade from Ennis Cantor. This, this is, this is fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I would totally agree. Tristan. I mean, I grew up in Cleveland, so Tristan is, uh, I, I've pretty much known him my entire life. He's uh he's the hell of a player. I think he's been great. Um, you know, it's interesting too. Like, I think we can't go on without talking about the fact that Kemba's out. Um, obviously the injury prognosis is not great from everything I've heard. Um, I, I know it's going to be probably a little bit before he gets back. And even when he gets back, I know there are questions about, um, you know, what his production, his ability is going to be like on court kind of moving forward. Yeah. They, they gave him that stem cell injection, which is, I guess, controversial. Um, yeah. Some people think it, it works perfectly and some people think it's, it, it's meaningless. So, uh, but they're going to see. And I think when you get to the point of a stem cell injection, not promising out of other other options. Right. Yeah. So uh, they're hopeful. They they're not sure. So the hope is that between that and a strengthening program, that's going to, that's going to be the difference in getting him back to what he was. Now, look, he had this issue last season. There was a long layoff. They went through the strengthening program and for a short while in the bubble, he looked fine. Yeah. I think what they did was they ramped him up too quickly and the strengthening kind of went away because he was playing 40 minutes a night and then he wasn't able to do as much with the strengthening program. And then we saw everything fall apart. So I'm, I'm guessing that what we're going to get from Kemba Walker is he's not a guy that you can play 30 minutes a game in the regular season and then slowly ramp him up. And now he's giving you 39 and 40 during the playoffs. I think he's going to be like a 32 minute a night player and anything more than that, you risk putting too much strain on that knee and getting away from the ability to do some of the other strengthening stuff to keep up that strength. So the Celtics, you have to make a choice. Do you push him and get him on the floor for more minutes? Or do you just say, all right, we get 32 minutes, but those 32 minutes are really good Kemba minutes. So if that's the case, then you take 32 really good Kemba minutes, and then you hope that the other 16 can be filled well by, you know, Marcus Smart doing a combination of things and, and however that works out. But Kemba, I don't know if he's ever going to be 100% who he was, but I think the Celtics feel good about getting him pretty close. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, he's really important to what the Celtics are doing, Um, you know, and just in the fact and not having to start Jeff Teague. I mean, Jeff Teague didn't start last night, but playing heavy minutes off the bench. um, That's one of my questions I've had since he he left. Um, Why wasn't Brad Wanamaker re-signed? I really liked, you know, I, I, I'm sure this is something that you've been asked about a thousand times already this year. Uh, so I apologize for having to do it again, but I, mm-hmm. I liked Brad Wanamaker a lot last year. Um, obviously, I mean, Jeff Teague's probably a flashier name, 
but I thought he uh, he brought a lot for the Celtics, and, and not that you know I don't I didn't really feel like Jeff Teague brings a lot more. We got the Jeff Teague experience in Indiana a couple of years ago, and that was a that was that's a whole other podcast. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know I, I thought Brad Wanamaker was a solid player, I and mean, that's the best way. The two best words you can use to describe him: he's a solid pro. Yeah, but I think what the Celtics needed off the bench was just a little bit more dynamic scoring. And so Teague presented the ability to score at a level that Wanamaker could not. Now, Wanamaker can defend a lot better than Teague can. And that's, I think, the trade-off that you're willing to make. I have spent some time this preseason anyway saying, huh, I do wonder why they didn't bring Wanamaker back. But when, when Teague is going well, you can say, all right, the guy can score, he can shoot. Um, I think where he struggled was against maybe some of the bigger centers. The so as he drives, you know, when when the the, the Milwaukee Bucks subbed out Brooke Lopez, they didn't have a, a similarly similarly large person. But when Brooklyn subbed out DeAndre Jordan, you get Jared Allen, and against. Uh, the Pacers, you still got a heavy dose of Miles Turner, and he was in there against Turner a bunch. And there, there's still enough length there to bother him on his drives. So I thought Teague did a decent job getting to the free throw line and still getting to the line 10 times. But I don't know. Uh, a lot of people are, are a lot higher on Teague here. He had that one great game yeah. uh, a couple nights ago. But, you know, I don't know. Shrug. Shrug. Yeah, TBD. He's, he's a, we'll find out eventually. I, I'll put it to you this way. I, I think Jeff Teague is here because of the short turnaround. Because originally, going back to the Kemba thing, the plan was to start ramping him up right around now anyway. Mm-hmm. And But the NBA's original plan was to start the season in, at the end of January, so they thought they were fine. But now that, that Kemba's out and he's missing games, they needed another point guard. So they had to go with Teague rather than a wing. So I think that's part of the reason why Teague is here. Okay. All right. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense then. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting too, because I think a lot of times people think about the Celtics and, you know, you, Jason, Jalen, Kemba, uh, just incredible top end talent. Um, I think the bench has been, it was obviously a struggle last year and it has been uh, kind of, I don't want to say any struggles the wrong way to put it, but there's it's, I mean, Romeo Langford's out too, who was looked really promising last year. Um, like where, where do you kind of see where this team's going to be at in, obviously it's a, it's a big question, but in like maybe two or three weeks. Cause I think with Kemba out the way that the bench is um, and how they've looked so far, it's a, it's a tough start um, in, in terms of, you know, how the East hierarchy is going to play out. Yeah. This was my fear for the Celtics. Because um, I feel like they're one of the most impacted teams by the short turnaround. Oh, definitely. You know, you've got obviously with Kemba, you've got the inability for two young stars, 23, 22 years old, 24 years old, these guys that take their off seasons and add elements to their game. They didn't really have long off seasons to add a ton to their game, which actually, side note, makes what, Jason, what Jalen Brown's been doing this season very impressive because I think he has added a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, or excelled in different areas anyway. But these guys haven't had the same off seasons as they've had. Uh, a guy like Grant Williams even 
a year after his rookie year, you're supposed to be able to go through another summer league. You're supposed to be able to take your homework and go home and say, okay, I need to add these elements and have months and months to, to work on that stuff. So anyway, blah, blah, blah. That leads us to here, which is the Celtics now have a condensed schedule. They opened up against Milwaukee, Brooklyn, and Indiana. So the two basically top teams in the East and another playoff team. And now you got Indiana again. <laughs> um, it's a tough start. And this is basically an extended preseason. So where are they going to be in a few weeks? I don't know, because now we're talking about who are the Celtics adding? Are they adding more minutes uh, for Tristan Thompson? Uh, do any of these rookies, like Peyton Pritchard had a pretty good game last night, but does Aaron Neesmith find a way into this rotation? Uh, Romeo Langford's going to be out for another month, at least, I think. So what happens when he gets back? What's he going to be like? What happens when Kemba gets back? The team that this Celtics uh, look like in March, April, could be vastly different than the team that we see now. But like I was saying, the fear that I had was this early season is going to be such a struggle that you start dropping games. And by the time you get on track, you're still so far behind these other teams that they end up being the fourth seed or fifth seed. And by then home court advantage might matter again. By then we might have fans in the seats and then your gauntlet could be something like Miami, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee to get to the NBA finals. And how the hell do you get through that? The big, yikes. So, yeah, you know, that's, that's the thing. So the Celtics could be playing their best basketball when it matters, but because this early season was so tumultuous, that might be still, they, they might still put themselves in just the worst possible position. So, so many questions. So many. Yeah, exactly. I think almost an even better question off of that is, how do you think the Celtics view themselves uh, in terms of looking at the East playoff picture? You know, I, I obviously uh, coming off of last year, going to the Eastern Conference Finals, um, this is a good team, but they, I mean, losing Gordon Hayward's huge. Um, and I feel like, you know, you look at, maybe if Kemba's not injured to start the year and you go off to a pretty good start and you see, okay, well, maybe we have a chance to make a run this year. Um, I mean, that impacts how you make moves. And I, I'm looking at that with Indiana too. I mean, I, I personally expected the Pacers to start off, you know, and it still could well happen. I'm not trying to speak anything into existence, but I, I personally expect them to be like 500 through 20 games, new coach, um, new schemes, just everything very different after being a really consistent team. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe if they go out and they're, 13 and five to start off that could impact how the front office decides to do things. Like um, I, I don't know. It's really, it, it's something that I think is going to be really interesting in looking at all of the teams throughout the, uh, the beginning of this year. Yeah. I think the Celtics, I know the Celtics see that they have much less uh, margin for error. That's I think the biggest, the biggest mm -hmm. thing that I've noticed is that every day Brad Stevens is talking about uh, efficiency execution uh, on both ends of the floor that they're not going to be able to get away with some of the things they got away with last year because Kemba was an all-star Gordon Hayward at the beginning of the season, by the, by the time we got to mid December last season, you had four Celtics that were close to or over 20 points a game. 
And I was thinking, like, how many All-Stars did the Celtics get this year the way this is going? I mean, legitimately, you could say four guys have a case. So two of those guys aren't here. One of them might come back a fraction of what he was. So now you have two guys that are clearly your scorers, your go-to guys. And Brad Stevens has said multiple times, we need to make sure that our guys, our other guys are accentuating what those two are giving us. And so they, I know that they see themselves as a team that can be very good, but only very good when they are playing their best. You know what I mean? Like they can't go out there and have a really off night, but their talent just carries them through anyway. If the Celtics have an off night or even like we saw against the Pacers, uh, an off quarter, if you have an off quarter as the Celtics, you're really, really going to struggle. They, They managed to get themselves in a position to win the game. But again, there was no margin for error by that point. And, they made one defensive miscue and Sabonis burned them and they just couldn't score on the other end. So they need to play really good basketball for as close to 48 minutes as they can. If they do that, they can beat anybody. They really can't beat anybody. If they don't, they can lose to anybody. So there's just a wide swath of who the Celtics can be on any given night. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how I feel about the Pacers, man. I, uh, I did somebody contract me to do just like a season preview on, on, on indie. And I really thought about it. I was, cause one of the questions was what range of outcomes do you see for this team? And I'm like, well, if Victor's healthy and the team doesn't have a shitload of injuries, like they did last year, I the starting five ended up playing like the projected starting five played like 80 combined minutes together. Um, last year I was like, okay, so if you have a fully healthy group, um, coaching hits right. I mean, they could be the fourth seed, but if Victor doesn't come back right, or there's some kind of, you know, locker room stuff that goes on uh, and there are injuries, I mean, they could be the nine seed in a playing game. So it's just, yeah, the, the margin for error is crazy when you don't have a player who's quite like, you know, LeBron, like the guy who's getting you to the playoffs, no matter what. And Jason Tatum's, I mean, about as close as you can get there without being there. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, so I guess that kind of leads me to my next point. Um, you know, losing Gordon Hayward, huge part of that. What are your thoughts on, on how that kind of fell out? We don't have to talk too in depth about it. You and Tony used to a great pot on that, uh, that I enjoyed. I'll link that for everybody down below. Um, but it's been, uh, especially looking at how Gordon Hayward has played so far and it's not anything on it. Uh, you know, the thing I, I, I always want to come at it objectively, you know, I'm not really coming out as a fan and just Gordon Hayward is a damn good player. I think that got lost a lot last year, uh, especially in the offseason, too. Um, you know, he as the fourth option, I thought he had just about it. Obviously, you know, it's he, he's not in the same role as he was in Utah, but he had just about the best season that he's had, you know, just in terms of pure efficiency from the court. I think people don't realize how good of a defender he is, both in help and, and on ball. Um, yep. Yeah, I mean, I just huge. I think that the loss was was almost underscored, considering how good of a player he is. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm a I'm a big Gordon Hayward guy. I I was excited when they got him. I thought he was going to be. I thought coming to the East from the West at that time, he had just been an All Star. Yep. Um, they'd gotten him before Kyrie, 
So I thought Gordon Hayward was going to be the number one guy, the centerpiece on this team. I thought he was going to have like multiple all-stars. Like this was supposed to be Gordon Hayward making a hall of fame run. This was going to be the Hayward has the team for himself in the East. It's weaker. He'll, if he makes six or seven all-star teams as a member of the Celtics, now you're like, wow, man, this dude's the eight all-star teams, maybe a couple all NBA teams, who knows what, what happens, uh, you know, results wise. You start saying like, wow, by the end of you, like this guy, hall of famer. Uh, so obviously he had the worst possible injury luck. And not only did he have that injury, he had a surgery before that summer, after that injury, as he was coming back and starting to get ready to play five on five, he had a surgery to remove the plates because they were irritating him. And that surgery cost him that summer. And that following year, he had to basically start playing five on five for the first time since the injury at, at the beginning of that season, that season where the Celtics really kind of struggled that whole year, that Kyrie season. Yeah. This past season was his best one and he still had injuries. He broke his hand. He's sprained his ankle in the playoffs. I thought that that was going to cut down on his value, but obviously that didn't. The Celtics weren't going to pay $120 million. I don't think anybody should have paid $120 million. I would agree with that. For, yeah. for Gordon Hayward. But at the same time, what happened last season was when the Celtics were bitten by the injury bugs where Jalen Brown missed some time, Kemba Walker missed some time, obviously, Marcus Smart missed some time. They had these four players, five players that they relied on. And at any given time, they'd only have three or four of them. And so Hayward was able to step up. Now losing him this year, late last night, Hayward would have been amazing to have a guy that can dribble and shoot. He essentially would, I would play him at point guard and let him kind of run things. That loss was a huge loss. It was just a tremendous loss. You're right. He can defend. He's like six, eight. Um, he can defend anybody. He's strong. Uh, the only people he can't defend are the big burly centers. But if he had switched onto Sabonis, I would feel comfortable with him guarding Sabonis in stretches. If he had switched onto Brogdon, I would have felt comfortable with him guarding Brogdon. And he still would have made the right play. He would have found the right pass. He would have hit the or taken the right shots. Now the Celtics have to deal with Jeff Teague in that spot. So that's that's the real drop off there. It sucks. Uh, I thought the way it went down was a lot of um, again another short turnaround kind of impact on this because instead of the off season having a normal flow to it, where you have this day where, where business opens, you have the moratorium, then you can start talking. You got like a week to let things happen. Everything happened within like three days. And when Danny Ainge was told, basically, we got more money than what you're offering us. You can, you can move us. You can try the sign and trade. He had less time than usual to explore the sign and trade. So instead of having a few days, a week to talk to Indy or other teams, talk to Charlotte, figure something out, it just happened quick. Yeah. And so I think that condensed timeline was a contributing factor to 
things falling apart with Indy because that negotiation had to happen really fast and it just never, never really went very far. The fact that, that um, Danny Ainge was able to at least get that trade exception and kind of put the get a return for him off for a, a, you know, at least until the trade deadline, that was good, but that's like not as good as it could have been. So it's a long way to say that losing Hayward really sucks. And Danny Ainge was never in a great position to get anything in exchange for him. And what he did get in exchange for him was like salvaging something. And if he doesn't use that trade exception to get somebody by the trade deadline, that is a real failure on Ainge's part. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's tough too, because um, I always get hit up with questions about this and like trade exceptions and I'm like, they're nice, but unless you have something that you can pair with that trade exception to really draw something in, like you're, you're not, okay. You can look at like Cody Zeller's contract. Like you, you're, you're looking at what fits in the trade exception, but people have to want to give that to you. Like it's, so it's, right. uh, it'll be interesting to see how he tries to maneuver that, um, which is definitely gonna be on my radar because I think the Celtics are going to need it. And We'll probably if like I agree if if they don't use it I mean there's that narrative of course that Daniel always talks about the trades that he's going to make and then they you know they fell through I think it's a little bit overblown but um they, I mean it's there and then it's kind of a it's definitely real at this point considering how things have kind of gone yeah I mean the pressure is on uh, the Celtics the, there are a number of reasons why that trade exception the, the pressure is on for that trade exception first of all you want to get some sort of return on that but you don't even have all of the options that you normally would with that exception because the Celtics went out and got Thompson with the full mid-level. So now they're hard capped. And because they're hard capped, that 28.5 million isn't 28.5 million. It's really a little less than 20 because that's how close they are to the hard cap. And so, I mean, theoretically Giannis and Kumpo fit into that trade exception, which was never going to happen, but my point is you could have you could have scanned the league for $27 million players. Now you can't. Now you have to look at your $18 million in your players. And if you're looking to get some help by the deadline, then that's that's your choice. And now next year, the Celtics can't hard cap themselves. They they can't allow themselves to get hard capped. So another option where you could say, all right, well, Danny H didn't get anybody by the trade deadline, but that essentially acts as cap space and you can get a sign and trade from somebody. No, you can't because if they get somebody from a sign and trade, the Jason Tatum extension kicks in next year. And if you, if you try to bring somebody in that makes that much money with Tatum's extension now, plus Kemba's money, plus Jalen Brown's money. Now you're basically, you have to make subsequent moves to make sure you're under that hard cap. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. So the Celtics not only just have a trade exception, they have fewer options than you would normally have with that trade exception. So the pressure is on. The pressure is certainly on, and they've got to do something. Uh, the Celtics specifically gave up assets to get this trade exception. They didn't do that to let it expire. So I just now comes the question of who do the Celtics manage to get with this thing? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And uh, 
we're we're gonna be probably a ways away from seeing who that is but hopefully uh hopefully find out sooner rather than later and i like watching like it's it's crazy i never thought i would say enjoy watching the celtics when i was a kid growing up uh considering i mean i i was what middle school when uh the Eastern Conference Finals happened between the, uh, the Celtics and, and the and the Cavs and uh, just all the playoff series that were were insane. Um, it was fun times. Uh, it was crazy to think about how long ago that was too. Like I'm thinking about that in my mind right now. I'm like, wow, I am only 23, but that feels like so much longer ago than it was. Um, but just in terms of looking at tomorrow and and, and you know this, this game coming up, um, what are some things that you're hoping to see maybe improve or just change a little bit overall? Uh, on the Celtics end. I, I'm obviously, I want to see that defensive execution a little bit better. Some, some tighter rotations defensively. I mean, they really need to stay connected defensively. Uh, that that's going to be something transition wise. Obviously you got to get mm-hmm. back and stop. Uh, and that starts with actually not turning the ball over. They, they managed to cut that down in the second half or in the fourth quarter. Uh, but they, they really need to protect the ball and that'll help their defensive numbers uh, a lot. Uh, offensively, it really is to me, it's about process type stuff. Like I just need to see them stick with the offense more throughout the game. Don't abandon the offense quite as much. Don't just try to hunt a mismatch and then sit there and pound the ball into the ground and, and just let everybody stand and watch. So I need, just need to see better overall execution to because when when the Celtics do execute that offense that's when guys like Peyton Pritchard get their open shots like the the Celtics have two great players in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum so the the ways those guys get going the ways those guys become unstoppable is getting themselves some good early looks getting themselves some uh some baskets to fall maybe drawing some fouls, getting some shots, getting some uh, points at the free throw line. And then from there, the defense overreacts and then they have it. They have everything that they want. Passes, uh, drives, pull-ups, but they have to get some easy baskets early. And that comes with just letting the offense, trusting the offense and knowing that everything is geared towards you guys doing well. You don't have to stray from the offense. Everything is geared towards you guys. So, let it work. Let it happen. Uh, and if they could do that and get some easy buckets, then when the ball goes through the hoop, you have time to sit your defense and your defense gets better. And when you can play your strong defense and get some turnovers, you get out into transition, you get a couple of the easy buckets. Next thing you know, you see a lead popping up. That's that's what the Celtics need to really get back to. Uh, it's just all about execution, doing things properly, uh, and trusting that what they're doing will lead to the results that they want. Yeah, I would agree. I feel like uh, if Jason Tatum ends up taking step back threes, you know, 15 seconds in the possession again, that's that's a tough, tough look. And, and uh, exactly like you're talking about, like you got to get your scores. And that's something that Indy had problems with last year, too. Um, I mean, as good as TJ Warren was in the bubble, they stopped using him in Miami in a way uh, against Miami in a way that that opened things up for everyone else, you know, getting your guys who have the most scoring gravity to open things up for everyone else. Like if I see Peyton Pritchard uncovered again tomorrow, I'm going to lose my mind because <laughs> they, they completely laid off of him at one point. I was like, did you guys not like, just look at his college numbers. That's all you need to do. Just look at his college shooting numbers. and know, okay, we have to cover him. But uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that with the Pacers. I mean, um, I, I think overall, I'm just looking at, 
what's most interesting to me, like in, in playing the Cavs earlier um, in preseason, that that small mini series they had, I mean, automatically in the second game, it was only only preseason. You're seeing some of the same actions that, that got run a ton in the first game are getting blown up in the second game. Um, like there was a Larry Nance lob play that they like running on the back end a lot. Um, and they probably scored four or five times on it in the first game. In the second game, it got blown up two or three times and they just stopped running it completely. Um, so I'm interest, interested to see how that's going to work in this next game. Like, I mean, the slip from Sabonis or the fake DHO, that's going to be totally keyed in on now. Um, I mean, game winning play, obviously. Um, just looking at that kind of stuff, I, I don't know. I think that's why I'm most excited about these like mini series, like seeing how coaches are going to attack um, each thing instead of having, you know, one-off games where you don't really maybe go as in-depth with X's and O's throughout the game. Sure. You know, there is certainly more room for that because your next opponent is the same opponent. So you definitely get to make some adjustments, but the Celtics are very certainly going to do much, much more of the, look, we're going to run, we're going to run our thing and try to run our thing. Like they, they can't get too caught up in adjustments to say, oh, all right, well, this is how they use McDermott. Let's make sure that we've got this. I mean, sure, you can try to use different different personnel to try and stop certain things because you need to get some wins. Like, mm-hmm. it's certainly not a must-win four games into the season, but it certainly is a, hey, it would be really nice to win this game uh, and get to two and two instead of one and three. But at the same time, the Celtics are so far away from where they want to be that – it's not about matchups. Uh, even, even if they played all week long, it's still not about matchups. It's, it's really about let's start doing the things that we do well. It's very much like when you're teaching basketball to a kid and the kid wants to make fancy behind the back passes. You still need to dribble and know how to throw a bounce pass and a chess pass and all of that stuff. You've got to get that down first before you can get fancy because that's not going to work. And the Celtics are in the bounce pass, chess pass phase of the season. They really need to get that fundamental stuff down, get their continuity down before they worry. I don't care if Miles Turner runs the point. Don't react to that. You just got to do what you do best. That's a really great point. I really, I actually, I really like that analogy too, because I grew up, so I, I was terrible at basketball. I played black, blacktop, obviously, but you know, the worst decision I actually ever made was wearing a Paul George jersey to, uh, to the blacktop. It would be even worse now, um, but back then it was a bad decision too, because uh, I did not have enough of a handle to do anything. But, you know, I grew up boxing and um, I, I remember I would watch like Roy Jones, like my, my idol growing up mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd watch his stuff. And so I, I remember I came in to, to spar one day and I did some, some crazy Roy Jones shit in the ring. And my coach pulled me aside. I was like, don't you ever do that again. You're not ready to do that yet. Like, go watch like some, some B level fighter who has actually good like techniques and skills. And like, you look at that stuff that happens in basketball all the time, like trying to do things that are way too flashy or like uh, not, not even flashy, but just like you're doing things that aren't what you're trying to do as a team. Advanced. And it gets, yeah, exactly. So you have to work up to it. I think that's a really great point. You don't um, go skiing down the double diamond first. You start exactly. on the green slopes first, and then you work your way up to the blue square then you, like no one's crazy enough to go down a double diamond first. That's that's the whole thing. That's a great point. Well, uh, John, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Before you get out of here, what are you uh, what are you working on, or what's going on that, that you want people to know about? Ah, uh, well, you know, just working on covering the Celtics. So yeah. I mean, you can follow me on Twitter, Reds Army underscore John, to find all of my work. I got a book out, the Boston Celtics All Time All Stars, 
which uh, if anybody's interested in reading about Celtics history, I picked up, uh, I picked 12 all-stars throughout Celtics history. Um, I think it's a fun look. If any Pacers fans, uh, I do know that there's one guy from Indiana who does make the team. Spoiler alert. Uh, (laughs) I have no idea who that could be, frankly. See, that's called a tease. Has anybody from Indiana ever been good at basketball? Yes. One guy, at least. Um, but anyway, just you. Um, that's it. So I've got my book and obviously the Lockdown Celtics podcast. Awesome. Well, I will have links for that down below. Um, to everyone listening, of course, go follow John and all his work if you don't already. Uh, thank you again for coming on, man. And just thanks for listening, guys. Appreciate it. Have a good rest of your day.